This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 321. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Matthew Marister. Gracias, Riley. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you are welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, I, I really thank you for being here, man, because uh, it's uh, always a great time doing the podcast with you. And uh, yeah, it's uh, first time I think I'm really kind of interacting with you, you know, more one-on-one since uh, we parted ways at the Concealed Carry Expo. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. I, I had to leave a day early, but uh, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. You party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I had like family stuff, church yeah. stuff, you know, stuff that supposedly takes priority over, you know, us, but that's okay. <laughs> <clears throat> supposedly. <laughs> All right. So today is our legislative news update week. All right. So on the podcast, what that means here today, we're going to be sharing with you some recent news of legislative updates, you know, upcoming potential legal changes, uh, laws that have been proposed, uh, or anything that just kind of is in that realm. All right. And so we'll also have kind of towards the end here, uh, what I think we're calling legislative reload. That's what for it was. Lack of a, for lack of a better name. So that's what it's going to be. Uh, so what that is, at, towards the end of the episode, we will be rapid firing through tons of stuff. We got news stories out of Illinois, California, Rhode Island, Maryland, Louisiana, New Hampshire, Nevada, Oregon, Connecticut, Texas, and Washington. <clears throat> yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, and the goal there will be to get through all those in just a couple of minutes, uh, give you a quick rundown. That way it allows us to squeeze a lot more in than we used to fit on the podcast here. Today we have some other interesting stories we'll cover here at the beginning, including a story about Trump's new ATF uh, head pick. Okay, so, so he's picked someone to lead the ATF agency, uh, and that, that gentleman's name is Canterbury, and uh, supposedly he's really pro-gun, but uh, I'm going to point out some things, I don't know, maybe calls that into question a little bit, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that though. Uh, but first, today's episode is made possible and brought to you by ConcealedCarry.com's Vehicle Firearm Tactics uh, video course, available online streaming or in a DVD form, which those of you that are watching the video feed, you'll see I'm holding that here. And so Vehicle Firearm Tactics, uh, great course. Uh, we put a lot, of, a lot of time, a lot of effort into it. In fact, uh, our friend Gary Quasenberry watched this and reviewed it and thought it was pretty awesome. So he, he recommends Vehicle Firearm Tactics course. If you don't know Gary Quasenberry, he was, uh, top, he was a top shooter at the uh, History Channel's Top Shot show. Uh, and uh, he's a well-respected instructor and firearms, uh, or firearms instructor and law enforcement officer, federal law enforcement officer, that might be. So, um, yeah, also today's episode made possible oh i forgot to mention too so, sorry the link so head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash vft all right and uh to get your copy of vehicle firearm tactics all right and then ammo supply warehouse is our other sponsor today so we love ammo supply warehouse i've been buying ammo from them now for some time and great quality stuff great people super fast super awesome service Guardian Nation members save an additional 5%, which is huge and awesome. 
So yeah, every little bit you could save on ammo this day and age, uh, it's already really cheap, but that's the thing, like getting another 5% off of stuff that's already really cheap, that's really that's really sweet. For so, sure. You wanna make sure you're a Guardian Nation member, but even, even if you're not, head on over to ammosupplywarehouse.com and uh, order your next batch of ammo from them. It's a great way to go, especially if you order in quantities of like 2,000 at a time. I know to some of you that sounds like an insane amount of ammo. That's how I order it. Even if it lasts me a little while, it's a good way to go. You save, you save yourself some serious dough. So uh, take advantage of those deals. 2,000 rounds at a time, they usually have a free shipping offer if you, if you order that much at a time. That's why I recommend that's the way to go. But you can order any quantity you want, all right? So AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, we appreciate them and their support of the podcast. So let's jump into it, Matthew. For sure. Let's do it. Attorney Andrew Branca here for Law of Self-Defense. Just about a month ago, we did a post of the day that covered the story of a Kansas police officer who accidentally shot a suspect with her handgun when she'd intended to merely use her taser. You can find that post of the day linked in the text version of this post of the day. That event took place in May 2018, and the officer was charged with the serious felony of reckless aggravated assault. Today, however, I learned that this charge against the officer, who has since resigned her position as a cop, was dismissed by a judge back in March of this year, according to local news reports. The judge's order dismissing the charge can be found embedded or linked below. I note that although the charge was dismissed without prejudice, meaning the prosecution is free to pursue an alternative charge against the officer, the district attorney, Charles Branson, has told the media they do not expect to do so. The prosecutor is also free to appeal the judge's dismissal order to a higher court, and they're taking that option under advisement, but it wouldn't seem likely to be successful for reasons we'll discuss in a moment. To quote the linked news story, which in turn is quoting District Attorney Branson, Clearly, Ms. Blood, the police officer, was negligent during the deployment of her firearm. Kansas law, however, provides little to no guidance on how to proceed in these circumstances. Kansas, unlike some states, does not recognize criminal negligence. Kansas does not recognize reckless conduct. Close quote. Then, oddly, after noting that Kansas does not recognize reckless conduct, District Attorney Branson then goes on, in the same news story, to define reckless conduct. Quote, to determine whether or not probable cause existed that Miss Blood, the officer, acted recklessly, the court had to determine whether a trier of fact could conclude with the evidence presented that Miss Blood consciously disregarded a substantial and unjustifiable risk. The court concluded she did not act recklessly. Close quote. Now, I'll note in passing that mere negligence, while sufficient to support a civil case, is not sufficient to find criminal liability. Criminal liability requires something more than mere negligence, often described as gross negligence or criminal negligence or recklessness. Generally speaking, that more means that the accused didn't merely unjustifiably cause harm in a careless manner, but that they were either explicitly aware that they were causing an unjust risk to others or should have been explicitly aware and chose to ignore that risk for no justifiable reason. 
Sure enough, although Kansas has a rather traditional definition of assault and aggravated assault under current law, both are captured in the same statute, 21-5412, linked in the text version of this post of the day, there appears no provision under current Kansas law for a charge of reckless aggravated assault. If you're wondering how a district attorney could file a criminal charge that has no apparent statutory basis, here's a possible explanation. In 2010, Kansas underwent a major rewriting of its criminal statutes. Specifically, it repealed the existing criminal statutes governing crimes against persons, which had been Chapter 21, Crimes and Punishments, Article 4, Offenses Against Persons, and replaced it with a new set of statutory crimes against persons, Chapter 21, Crimes and Punishments, Article 54, Crimes Against Persons. It seems possible, although the research is beyond the scope of a blog post, that District Attorney Branson may have had an older, now repealed, reckless aggravated assault charge in mind when he charged this officer, and that the court was understandably enough obliged to dismiss a charge that no longer existed under Kansas law. If that's correct, we can ask that the legislature in 2010 deliberately abandon the notion of reckless aggravated assault or was dropping it merely in oversight. Frankly, your guess is as good as mine. Rather more bewildering, actually, is why it took a Kansas trial court a full year to dismiss a criminal charge that, in law, had no statutory basis any longer. One possibility is less a matter of black-letter law and perhaps more strategic decision-making by the defense. Given that the police officer here was white and the suspect she shot was black— her defense team may have preferred to delay what they knew would inevitably be a dismissal of charges until after this story was out of the headlines and possible community passions had lessened. That's, of course, merely speculation on my part. In closing, remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, know the law so you're hard to convict. And before I let you go, a quick reminder about our new Law Self-Defense Consult program that guarantees that I'm available to consult on your legal defense should you find yourself charged or sued in a use-of-force case all at 120th the usual cost. Make yourself hard to convict for less than 15 cents a day, folks. Participation is limited, however, so if you're interested, I urge you to take a look at lawselfdefense.com forward slash consult. I'm attorney Andrew Branca with Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe. All right, first story from the Daily Caller. Trump's ATF pick, and this is quoting him, I take a backseat to no one in my reverence for the Second Amendment. Now, that sounds really good, right? Like, that sounds awesome, actually. Okay, so recently the ATF, you know, came out with this ruling with this new regulation that has banned bump stocks. Now, that's there are obviously some legal challenges going up against that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's disappointing to see, right? Obviously, especially under, you know, we didn't even see anything like that under Obama. Now, I'm not saying that if we still had President Obama that we wouldn't eventually see something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we get, we get somebody in the, in the White House that, is, you know, he markets himself as being pro-gun. He comes and speaks at NRA every year. And then all of a sudden, under President Trump, the ATF bans bump stocks. Now, I know that is not an issue that affects a lot of people necessarily, or there's a lot of folks out there that say, ah, so what? It's just bump stocks. Who cares? But uh, it, it still is, a, you know, a little bit of an attack on the Second Amendment 
because that's for, 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 for the first time ever that I'm aware of. And it's probably not the first time, but it's the one, it's the only thing that I'm aware of or that I remember in recent history that a specific accessory to a firearm really came under fire like that. And so, you know, to, to me, that's really concerning. You know, it's, it's, it wasn't even going after a specific, you know, certain gun, you know, specific gun or uh, semi-automatics or AR-15s or whatever. It was just like, let's just ban outright an accessory, right? That, that doesn't even, it, 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 it does nothing for their stated purpose, right? As far as like, you can create your own bump stock essentially, right? You can hook your finger on your belt loop, stick your finger through the trigger, hold it all loose and put some forward pressure on the gun and away you go. You got a, a, a simulated fully automatic, right? You could do that with almost any semi-automatic. I could do that with my Marlin 6022, you know, like the most basic and common, well, one of the most common, the 1022 from Ruger is probably more common, but most basic 22 long rifle semi-automatic rifle out there and i can bump i can i can run that with you know a bump finger so uh bump stocks disappointing to see that happen now there's a new head that trump is nominating to head the atf the bureau of alcohol tobacco firearms and explosives what what do you think i mean based on this article matthew uh what, what do you think about chuck canterbury yeah, so um, obviously we just learned from what you're talking about that the ATF does, it, typically it doesn't regulate or it doesn't um, legislate, but how you explained it, 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 it's kind of getting into that gray area where it's kind of creating law, correct? So it, it, this nomination is kind of a big deal. Um, I, I'm I'm glad that he said what he said, but he also said that this was in the past. This wasn't recent, and he said that during uh, Sotomayor's um, uh, Senate you confirmation know, uh, hearing. Confirmation hearing, correct. So, and he he supported her confirmation. She's no, you know, uh, I guess uh, constitutionalist, if you would say that. You know, she's she's not very um not you know a. Uh, uh, a conservative leaning judge let's put it that way so he he you know supported her um he and so i think this kind of shows that no matter what once you get into a into politics um it's hard to stay hardline one side or the other and these people you know kind of float in the middle a little bit and we'll i think it's going to play out over time to see how this guy does in there but i mean we just got to hope that this doesn't become a situation yeah. where the, the the ATF is starting to legislate because we already have the, the Supreme Court doing it. And we don't now, you know, we don't need all this, um, these bodies legislating where they're not accountable to the to the public. They're, they're bureaucrats, you know, yep. so that's what's the danger. But yeah. I don't know, I guess that's, that's, that's kind of my take. So that This is my big concern is that you know, this Canterbury fellow had, you know, that he supported, he actually testified on her behalf saying that Mm -hmm. he supports her for being on the Supreme court this way back in 2009 when she was being confirmed. And at that time, she herself, Sotomayor claimed that she was, that she was in support of the Heller decision. Okay. Which recognizes uh, an an individual's right to bear arms. Uh, But in 2010, when the McDonald case came up, uh, which also deal, dealt with individual rights, uh, she voted against it, 
right? So just a year later. So th- is this a case where she was just saying what she needed to say so she could get confirmed? Sure, seems that way to me. Um, she's okay with states restricting weapons. Uh, feels like you know that Heller only applies to feds, and that is kind of how that. Uh, I I'm not going to go down that road, but um, that's that's my one point here is this Canterbury fell has given the lip service in such a way that would make you think, Hey, that he sounds like he's really pro second amendment, which is cool. If that's the case, if he really truly is pro second amendment, then that's awesome for us to have somebody like him heading the agency of the ATF. But again, he very, it's not like he had to come out and testify on behalf of Sotomayor. Right. So, you know, to, you know, what that sounds like to me is if he truly is really pro second amendment, but yet he feels like he has a need to come out and, to, you know, basically endorse Sotomayor uh, basically 10 years ago. Now, um, my concern there is that he, you know, is that just doing a favor for somebody? Like, is he beholden to somebody, you know, like how does one get to where they're actually uh, advancing a justice uh, that uh, I, I'm not convinced is you know really all that pro Second Amendment. I don't think she's as anti as some of the justices on the court, but I don't think she's necessarily what I would consider pro Second Amendment, right? Totally. So anyway, I don't know. Uh, I, I think there's probably worse people that could be recommended for the ATF. So uh, that's you know, there, there's that at least I guess. But uh, I don't know. As as is the case with a lot of these things, I mean. <laughs> we'll have to kind of take him at his word as far as he says, he's really pro second amendment. I'd like to ask him, I'd like to put him on the stand and say, sir, you know, what is your feeling? What is your opinion about this whole bump stock ban? Right. And now that you're going to be the head of the ATF, the head of the agency that uh, put into place the rules that bans bump stocks, uh, would you consider turning that, that clock back? Uh, Maybe that's beyond his, his power at this point, maybe, maybe Trump has already made it clear. No, that's staying in place because it's, it's been made clear that Trump is like Trump wanted the bump stock ban. Mm-hmm. Right. So is this guy like how, how pro second amendment is he really? That's, that's the question I got to ask. And I'd, I'd love to be able to ask him those questions directly, but uh, obviously I won't get that chance, but we'll have to see how this plays out. So he awaits official nomination, uh, which will require confirmation uh, by the U.S. Senate. All right, so we'll see how that goes. Next up, <clears throat> uh, a new federal law will promote target range development on public lands. Give us the skinny on this one, Matthew. Yeah, so uh, May 10th, President Trump signed the Target Practice and Marksmanship Training Support Act into law. Um, it's going to pro- uh, basically it's providing um, ranges more federal money to. Uh, teach classes and, and helping um, their initial, you know, federal, the excise tax that you pay on ammunition and guns and things like that goes, half of it goes into helping promote wildlife um, preservation and things like that. And, um, you know, the uh, how to train uh, hunters education programs and things like that. So this is just uh, giving more or promoting more uh, federal dollars to go to these groups to um, help education, which is great because, you know, the flip side is, is always, well, we want to create more laws that's going to help people be safe. 
um, you know, restrictive laws on owning guns. That's going to help people be safe. But this actually helps people learn how to be safe with firearms and how to appropriately store them and, and how to hunt, you know, ethically and responsibly and do all these things. So um, I think it's these types of things that kind of go in, under the radar, but do far more to, to help safety and education and all that, which is important. And that's the whole goal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this act, it, it's doing, a, there's a lot to this. Okay. So it's, it's kind of, um, so you're familiar with the Pittman Robertson Act, right? Which goes way back, uh, actually back to the 30s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that's where all firearms, ammunition, and also archery equipment that you buy at your stores has, I believe it's a 15% tax uh, that goes back to the Pittman Robertson Act. And that's pretty substantial. So we're actually taxed pretty heavily already, not including state taxes, you know, sales tax and so forth, or anything else. If, you know, then this has been tried, you know, a number of times, number diff- a number of different places where, where uh, the anti-gunners would love to tax us to death on firearms and especially ammunition purchases. Um, but this is one that was supported by pro-gun folks way back in the day, uh, basically saying, look, this is our way of raising funds to put back into all these these wildlife conservation, restoration, uh, and various programs. And that's been really key, actually, to uh, growing and advancing outdoor sports. Uh, you know, having, having facilities, having uh, wildlife preserves, having, you know, these different uh, uh, places where we can go into and hunt, uh, you know, that may not have existed because it may not have been able to be funded. Uh, so anyway, uh, 50% of the excise tax revenue from handguns, bows, and arrows may be used for hunter education programs and the development and operation of archery and firearm shooting ranges. So, and additionally, there's $8 million, this is according to an article by the NRA ILA, $8 million annually set aside for firearm and bow hunter education and safety program grants within the states, which can also help fund rate ranges. Uh, so, this is really good. And then basically this, this new act, the Target Practice and Marksmanship Training Support Act, is intended to amend the Pittman-Robertson Act to provide states greater opportunities to use those funds to apportion them for public range development. This is key because what I'm seeing is there's a lot of ranges that are going bye-bye, you know, public ranges, because as, as we see kind of that urban creep, and, you know, this has been very much true in the front range area of Colorado. That's, you know, Denver along, you know, kind of the front range area there of the Rocky Mountains used to be all kinds of places you could go shoot in public land. And that's getting harder and harder to do all the time. So yeah. I think this is a really good thing. All right. All right. Uh, next story from Breitbart.com. A federal judge refuses to dismiss the NRA SAF, that's the NRA and Second Amendment Foundation suit against the state of Washington's gun control. So this is that initiative 1639 we talked a lot about last year that ultimately was just by a little bit uh, passed by the voters in the state of Washington. And uh, immediately the NRA and the SAF, the Second Amendment Foundation, went to task to try to, you know, to fight, uh, fight back against that. Um, their claim 
is that it this law violates the Commerce Clause by banning sales of rifles to non-residents and that it unconstitutionally impairs the rights guaranteed by the First, Second, and Fourteenth Amendments and Article 1, Section 24 of the Washington State Constitution by preventing the sale of certain rifles to otherwise qualified adults under the age of 21. Uh, you know, this is so interesting because we live in this day and age, Matthew, where it feels like to me that if if there are certain individuals that if they had a magic wand they could wave, uh, that they would they would lower the voting age to like sixteen or even twelve, who knows, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff, and meanwhile would raise the age, you know, even beyond maybe twenty one, where you could buy a gun, or would even wave that wand to say make guns go bye bye, right? So it's just it seems like such a weird dichotomy like let's lower voting age let's let's put the power of voting in the hands of those that uh you know are not even even officially legally legal adults uh meanwhile legal adults that can vote and do vote can't buy a gun until they're 21 it's crazy stuff to me yeah and it's also kind of on the same lines you know to to allow people felons in prison who are can in prison, still serving out a sentence, voting rights, but, you know, take away the rights of law-abiding citizens and put them in jail. It's like, wait, what are we doing here? You know, so it, it is it is a total of a point in, you know, I think we're going to look back on this in like 10 years and, and be like, what the heck were people thinking? Like, this is nuts. Um, and it's crazy. This this um, suit is actually, not, it's against the... Um, the sheriff and the police chief of Spokane, yeah. Washington. So they were like, wait a second, you can't sue us. You know, like we haven't even en- enacted the law. And the judge is like, well, y- no, you-, you are getting sued. We're not going to throw- dismiss the case. So it's pretty crazy how this is, how this is working. And, and I think we're kind of coming to a head with a lot of hot political things that in our, it, it, you know, over the past I'd say 15 years have been kicked back and forth and both, you know, parties have kind of kicked it down the, down the road on a couple big things. I'm sure, you know, you know, you can think of a a couple big, you know, contested uh, things and it's going to come to a point where it it has to go to the Supreme court. And I think gun rights, gun, you know, this type of thing is going to go. I think it's, I think um, the abortion debate is getting to that kind of volcanic point where something's got to give and, uh, and, you know, you see states doing things to, to um, kind of stand up against federal law and, and various things and, and against, you know, um, gun rights and things like that. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be weird to look back in 10 yeah. years and see how this all shakes out. And not only, you know, raising the age to 21 to be able to purchase uh, these guns, but also, you know, that initiative 1639 put into it a, a requirement that you have to take a class to be able to purchase semi-automatic rifles right. in Washington. And Cammy here comments that uh, you just went, it's, took a class yesterday to be able to purchase semi-auto rifles in Washington, covered some good things, but doubt it's going to help anything. So uh, just remarkable to me, you know, what's going on there in, in Washington state and such a tra- you know travesty uh, that this thing even got passed in the first place. Uh, it also says here from Cami, as a Washington resident, if your firearm is used in a suicide, you can be charged with felony murder. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So crazy stuff there. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to follow along as this uh, legislation or as this uh, uh, lawsuit uh, progresses. 
And uh, hopefully, you know, they can get this turned over because I, I seriously think there's some, some big time constitutional issues with this with this uh, legislation out of Washington State. I have a hard time getting the words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, California. DOJ submits proposed regulations regarding upcoming ammunition transfer background check requirements to Office of Administrative Law. So going back uh, two years ago now, I think they passed this law. Uh, maybe it was last year. I don't know. I can't. It's There's so much of this now. We can't even hardly keep, keep up with it all. That's why we try to do this on the podcast and do it somewhat regularly so we get the, op- the opportunity to at least talk about this stuff. But, you know, they passed this uh, law requiring... Uh, ammunition purchases in California to be subjected to a background check. And if I'm not mistaken, this was passed a while ago, but they weren't anywhere close to being ready to get this rolled out. But it says now, uh, July 1st, you know, all, all ammunition purchases will have to be, will have to go through a background check. But in order to implement that, the California Department of Justice has to adopt necessary regulations, which as of yesterday, this of course was written, this is like a week ago. So, it was about a week ago that, that they just submitted the regulations to the Office of Administrative Law for review. Okay, so Matthew, did you did you go into this much and see what what any of those recommendations or, re, or uh, regulations are? Yeah, and and, and I, there's a link uh, if you you know in the show notes you'll be able to uh, a link to the guidance. Um, they kind of um, it's California Rifle and Pistol Association put this together and it says you know this is the law and this is kind of how it, it it's going to be enforced when this goes in into effect if it if there's no changes um, and it's pretty it's pretty rough I mean um, it, it not only can you do you have to go through a background check to get um, to buy purchase fire uh, um, ammunition but they will they take down the information. Um, they take down the date of the sale, the purchaser's driver's license, other identification number, uh, the brand name, amount of ammunition sold, the purchaser's full name and signature, the name of the salesperson, the purchaser's full residential address and telephone number, and the purchaser's date of birth. Um, and, and and it's crazy. And so they give they carve out some of these ex- exceptions in there. So they'll say, um, yeah, you can have ammunition shipped to um, – you know, ship to a gun range and you can go there, but the, the ammunition has to stay there. It can't be transferred to you unless that uh, gun range is an FFL as well. And they can transfer it at that point. Um, so you have to go through the process, um, uh, you know, transferring through the FFL, like, like a gun. Um, it, it, there's, it, it's really, you can give it to, you can give or gift ammunition to an immediate family member, your wife or child, um, so like you go to the range with your buddies and they're out of ammunition, I guess, technically you give them ammunition, um, you'd be violating the California law. Um, so it, it's, it's just, mm. it doesn't make sense. And it, it's really, it's really, um, overburdensome, I would say it, obviously it doesn't allow, um, it doesn't allow anybody under the age of 21 to purchase handgun ammunition. Um, you have to be 18 or over to buy, uh, you know, any type of ammunition, but 21 or over to purchase handgun ammunition. So I guess if you have a pistol caliber carbine, you know, you still can't purchase ammunition until you're 21 for it. You could probably own it, but, um, yeah, really, really interesting. But I would, I would, if you live in California, either get out, that's the first recommendation, (laughs) but, um, second recommendation would be to check out the, um, the link in the show notes for the guidance. Um, yeah. 
that can help you understand a little more. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a mess for sure, man. Oh, totally. Crazy stuff. All right. So that brings us now to our legislative reload segment where we are going to now cover a bunch of stories super, super quick. <laughs> uh, so we're going to start first in Illinois. And uh, in Illinois there, the House is considering there to uh, a FOID. In, so the FOID card is the fire owner identification card. So they're considering a FOID fee increase in mandatory fingerprinting. So until now, uh, fingerprints were not involved with uh, getting a, a FOID card. Uh, you went in, you fill out your paperwork. Uh, actually, I think you even, I think you may even be able to do that online. But anyway, you 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 apply for a FOID card. Now they're talking; they want to require you to get fingerprinted, including for renewals. Uh, so you know, there's that now, and that the chances are this just means more cost. That's also what's part of this. Uh, they're talking now here that. Uh, FOID applicants would have to pay for all costs associated with fingerprinting and processing the background check. And that would total around $150 on top of the application fee. Wow. So now it's suddenly getting a lot more expensive to own a gun because you have to have one of these cards to have a gun in Illinois. It's getting a lot more expensive to do that. And get this, they want to cut in half the duration of the the key, the, the card, okay? The FOID card it, up until now has been valid for 10 years. They want to cut that in half down to five years. So mm-hmm. more expensive and more frequent. Sounds like a, you know, a fundraising effort by the uh, legislators there in Illinois. And of course, additional infringements on people's rights to uh, own and possess a firearm. So uh, yeah, there you go. That's, uh, that's what's going on in Illinois. Matthew, what's happening now in, besides the ammunition thing yeah. in California? Yeah, California, uh, not surprising. One, two, three, four, five, six bills. Okay, so six bills. Um, yeah, increase uh, waiting floor votes. But um, one of them would be would outlaw you know precursor parts or frames and and your you know your polymer eighties, your unfinished lowers and things like that. Um, you'd have to get them uh, through a licensed dealer. You have to be over twenty one. All that stuff. Um, another bill that's there would raise the DROS fee or the, the, um, the background check fee. So whatever, you know, FFLs are charging, they're going to charge more if that goes through. Um, another bill 61, uh, one handgun a month law to apply to all firearms. So they have a one handgun a month law. Um, so you can only purchase one handgun a month, but now it's going to be everything, um, uh, would prohibit the sale of uh, center-fired automatic rifles or semi—sorry, center-fired semi-automatic rifles to purchase uh, persons under 21. Um, Senate Bill 120 um, expand the penalties for violations of California's transportation law. Um, basically, you know, not transporting the gun correctly. Uh, increase the penalties on that. Bill 172 would expand California's existing storage laws, make it more difficult, penalize you more. That's a good combo. Um, Assembly Bill 1254 would prohibit the ability to hunt, trap, or otherwise take a bobcat, expect, except in specified circumstances. There you go. <laughs> there you go. 
Now we turn to Rhode Island, where the Senate Judiciary Committee will consider two gun control bills next week. That's actually this week now. So uh, <clears throat> these two bills, one of which it just doesn't even make any sense because Senate Bill 84 is so poorly written that it confuses and confuses undetectable firearms with 3D printed guns. Uh, undetectable firearms have been illegal for over 30 years. And so, you know, basically you build a gun, build a ghost gun, whatever it is, it's got to have metal in it. And almost, you almost need metal in a gun anyway, right? The only way to make an undetectable firearm would be if it's completely made from plastic. And some of that plastic would have to be hard enough to be a firing pin. To, you know, it just isn't very practical, right? So the whole concern about undetectable firearms is uh, really blown out of proportion. Uh, but this would probably go after and make basically the idea of a ghost gun, uh, one that you manufacture yourself, also illegal. Senate Bill 595 uh, will be up for, for consideration as well, and this would require gun dealers to submit firearm transfer reports to the state police on a monthly basis. Despite mm. attempting to give the appearance the bill is not creating a gun registry, that's what it is. Why else would you want a monthly report from gun dealers in your state on a monthly basis to see all fire transfers that have occurred. That's insane. So uh, here's the thing. These two bills have been brought back. They were initially talked about earlier in the session. They've now come back later in the session. That's an indication in that the uh, Rhode Island Senate intends to push through and pass these. So you need, if you are in Rhode Island, you need to be start start contacting these people, contacting your representatives, contacting your senators, and contacting everybody you know, and uh, really expressing your non-support for the this bullcrap stuff yep all right and then so in maryland uh we spoke about i think last month um about a citizen review board so if somebody is applying for a concealed handgun license in in uh, maryland and it's denied they can appeal to a citizen review board which they can present you know evidence and, and say you know this is why i really need it and it can uh, has some oversight right well, the, uh, there was a, a bill that was put in, voted for, passed, but uh, Governor Larry Hogan vetoed it. Uh, that was uh, Senate Bill 1000, 1, um, repeal the handgun permit review board. So basically now um, he, he, basically the, the law, there was a law that was passed that would do away with that review board process. So now you are appealing strictly to the, uh, the government, so the police, right? And so there is no civilian oversight. They say, no, you have no, you can appeal, but you're appealing to the same people that denied you the first time. Um, there's no oversight whatsoever. Um, so the, 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 the bill that was passed would have stopped that repeal of the um, uh, taking away the, the, the citizen review board. Uh, governor overrides it. So the C citizen review board goes away. Um, and now um, it's there's no there's no review so you lose out and you're pretty much i would say you're pretty much without permit because yeah. your your review is going to the same people that denied it the first time around yep which makes no sense positive news out of louisiana where the house passes pro-gun preemption legislation this legislation house bill 281 sponsored by representative blake Miguez. If you don't know who Blake Miguez is, uh, you're missing out. Uh, Blake is a good dude. Uh, he was actually on History Channel's Top Shot. He is a, a grandmaster level, you know, USPSA sh competitive shooter. He's a, a he's a heck of a shooter. He's an amazing shooter, and uh, so he got elected to the House. I don't remember. It's been a couple of years now, 
and he, he he's always pushing this program legislation through, which is great. So this bill removes vague language in Louisiana's existing preemption statute to prevent a patchwork of laws throughout the state that could potentially and unknowingly turn a law-abiding gun owner into a criminal. So this is awesome. Congrats and kudos to uh, Blake Miguez, Representative Miguez, and uh, uh, Louisiana. Now, again, it's just passed the House bill, so it'll have to go to the Senate now. Uh, hopefully, it'll get through. All right. So if you're in Louisiana and can express your support of this bill, I would suggest that you do so. All right. Back out to New Hampshire, the East Coast. A couple bills going to the Senate floor for votes. Um, A couple of them, Bill 109, would uh, basically outlaw the private uh, transfer of a firearm. So no private transfers. Um, Bill 514 um, would require a three-day waiting period. Um, before you, you could, you know, pick up your purchased firearm, you can buy it, but you got to wait three days before picking it up and taking it in custody. Um, bill House Bill five sixty four um, would prohibit uh, anybody from carrying on a school in a school zone. Um, could still leave it, uh, leave it remain as long as it remains in the vehicle, but uh, there's some there's some weird verbiage in that bill House House Bill five sixty four, and then House Bill six ninety six. Um, is basically your red flag, um, extreme risk protection order, whatever you want to call it, ex parte, where um, somebody goes in and says you're danger to yourself or others, and uh, your firearms taken away from you without uh, you being able to say anything otherwise. So, some poor bills for uh, for gun owners in New Hampshire. So, you know, get involved if you live in New Hampshire. Yep. That's sad to see, you know, from the live free or die state. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> Same one I was thinking. Yep. Now, out of Nevada, gun bill expected to become a red flag law. Uh, gun control group Every Town for Gun Safety it says it's, it was supporting a proposal of the Nevada legislature that would have allowed counties to preempt state gun laws and pass stricter firearm reg- regulations. But it became clear that that measure could not pass this year. Instead, they are slipping into another bill, uh, a red flag law provision. And so and there's ex- there is anticipation that that will get through potentially. So uh, Nevadans, uh, get ready and start hitting your people up. Also out of Nevada, an omnibus anti-gun bill granted waiver from deadlines. Um, <clears throat> so this is actually written couple, uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago or so, uh, where a deadline passed uh, to... Uh, uh, legislation for legislation. Jeez, I'm having our time today. A deadline for legislation to pass out of the policy committee in the second chamber. That deadline came and went, uh, but a waiver was granted for Assembly Bill 291, exempting the bill from the deadlines. What is this bill? Well, it could be. Uh, this is a red flag uh, law uh, as well. Oh, excuse me, I got that mixed up. This waiver couples the rules suspension. Sorry, I'm trying to read and parse all this really quickly, and I'm obviously failing miserably at it. Uh, save me, Matthew. I got all mixed up in what I was going after here. So you're talking about the omnibus bill? Yeah. What's going on there, buddy? I, 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 I lost my uh, train of thought here. So, yeah. So it talks about preemption. Um, uh, there's a, if you're not familiar with preemption, basically, you know, jurisdictions can't make more restrictive gun laws and, and kind of create its little pockets where, you know, you go into that city and you're, you're uh, committing a violation just merely by, you know, possessing a certain magazine limit or something like that. Um, so uh, this, this, there's 
they're taking this omnibus bill, which is goes in with spending and everything that goes into it. And they're throwing these, these little bills in there. So the red flag bill, they're trying to slide in, um, expand, uh, um, storage laws. So making them more restrictive, slide that in there, um, expand the ability to, uh, create gun-free zones. So, you know, verbiage that would take other areas outside that are not already gun-free zones and add them in there. So this, um, this bill is a huge bill. And what they do is they slide it in there. Then, you know, if somebody votes against it, they can say, you know, I, you know, you're voting against funding, whatever. And they're saying, no, I actually, I'm not a big yeah. fan of red flag laws. And they say, no, that, that's not really why you voted against it. So they put all this stuff in there and slide it in. And so this is yeah. why this is a pretty dangerous bill. I know where I got confused because there's Assembly Bill 291, which is one you're talking about, this omnibus bill. They're trying to slide all this stuff into. And uh, that's been exempted from the deadline that it had to be passed by through a, through a committee. Uh, there was another bill that was talking about red flag laws and some other mandatory storage laws. And that was Assembly Bill 153, which did not get through committee before the deadline. But there's, there's that possibility they're going to try to slide those things also back into this omnibus bill, into this Assembly Bill 291. All right. So that's, I apologize for my confusion and, and all that. Uh, I was like, wait, great crap you know where that what's this other one thing anyway all right so all right um oregon gun control measure expected back after miss this season uh give us the rundown on that one real quick yeah this is pretty much what cammy was talking about um uh so basically it is uh senate bill 978 um, the measure would have required safe gun storage, place liability on gun owners if a gun is stolen but not reported and used to injure a person or property, um, outlawed unacceptable or untraceable and undetectable firearms, your ghost guns um, or polymer 80s and those types of things. Granted, local authorities the power to regulate firearm access in public public buildings and allowed retailers to set higher minimum purchase age restrictions. So this is, um, this didn't pass the first time around and, um, now they're putting it back in there. So, um, yeah, not a good, not a good thing for Oregon and Cami. Yep. Yep. Well, Cami's in Washington, but either oh, way, I'm sorry, Oregon, yeah. Washington, California, the whole West Coast is getting all kinds of screwed up. <laughs> all right, so Connecticut, Senate to vote on gun control bills. Uh, there's a number of bills, House Bill 7218, House Bill 7219, and House Bill 7223. 7218 would require any adult with a minor present in their residence to make their firearms unavailable for self-defense. Gun store, basically, they want to require you to, uh, things have to be locked up in such a way that it would be dang near impossible for you to retrieve your firearm in an instant, in a self-defense situation, during a break-in, whatever it is, that's concerning because people ought to be able to make decisions for themselves, how they store things responsibly and safely, but yet still be able to have quick access. So 70, House Bill 7218 would make that, uh, make, would make that a big-time issue. Uh, 7219 would essentially end the centuries-old practice of manufacturing firearms for personal use by imposing requirements that far exceed those in federal law. Again, this is going after the some of the idea of the ghost gun. Uh, so, there, but regardless of those ghost gun kits, the Palmer 80 kits or whatever, uh, forever people have been able to, for their own personal use and enjoyment, uh, build their own guns. And 7219 wants to remove that ability okay so that's that's an inherent thing in the second amendment where citizens are able to build guns for their own per, per their own purpose their own use their own desire 
uh, in their own lawful use, right? So that's a concern. And then 7223 would require handguns to be stored in a locked safe whenever in an unattended, unattended vehicle. Um, so again, that's not necessarily it. I mean, I'm a big proponent of storing your firearms responsibly, but it's something you should be able to determine how you do that for yourself and not have some one size fits all government, you know, re regulation telling you how you've got to do it. All right. That's a concern because it increased costs. It restricts people uh, that maybe are on a tight, tight budget, uh, whatever. So anyway, go and let your, your people in Connecticut know uh, that you are not in support of these laws because I know I wouldn't be. Matthew says he's got to take off. So Matthew, take off, buddy. We appreciate you. He's got to go pick up, I'm assuming, his daughter from school. So that's kind yeah. of important. Last week. <laughs> so I'll see you guys again. Yep. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you. Thanks. So I'll, I'll try to wrap this up here. And we've got out of Texas now, Governor Abbott. He signs an NRA-backed tenants' rights bill. Uh, so this bill is, is, is a good bill. House Bill 302 protects tenants' rights to possess lawfully owned firearms and ammunition in dwelling units and on manufactured home lots. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing when you think about, you know, there's people sometimes will have a manufactured home or mobile home uh, and they own the home, but it sits on a lot that they rent. And you could potentially be in a situation where your landlord that owns a lot that your own owned home that sits on it uh, says no guns, no ammo sort of thing. Uh, that could be a big time problem. Uh, I think this should be a law in every state because that's not cool. All right. So House Bill 302, again, protects a tenant's rights to be able to own firearms uh, and, and basically prohibit a no firearms clause from being added into residential leases. That's really key. That was signed into law in Texas this, uh, about a week and a half ago. So great job, Texas. I think more states need to follow suit on that one. Uh, and, you know, we should give credit where credit is due. And so, you know, we were always saying how we should be contacting our legislators, our, our senators, our governors, et cetera, et cetera, to let them know about things that we disagree with. We, we talk about contacting them to let them know of support. We should contact them and say, thank you for passing awesome laws like these as well. All right. Now, out of Washington State, we've talked about some things out of Washington again already, but uh, let's see. Governor Inslee signs anti-gun bills. House Bill 1465 will require CPL holders to undergo a state background check on handgun purchases instead of the instant NICS check that is currently being conducted. That's always fun when a state tries to take over things for themselves in that regard. Not that I don't believe in states' rights, but you know when you have a system that already works generally pretty well, to me, it just feels like it probably ought to just stick with that system, but whatever. House Bill 1786 uh, will, will expand firearm seizures to a wider range of protective orders with little to no due process. House Bill 5027, sponsored by David Frocht, Senator, will expand Washington's existing extreme risk protection orders by affirming that the ERPO can be issued against minors while also infringing upon the self-defense rights of law-abiding parents or others in the household without due process. So this would extend things basically to where if you're a minor that lives in your home, but you as the parent, as the adult in the home own guns, well, your gun ownership may be put at, at risk in jeopardy because of your minor that's insane. Uh, Senate Bill 5181 
We'll suspend Second Amendment rights without due process for six months from individuals who are admitted for a 72-hour mental health evaluation, but who are not subsequently involuntarily committed. So, you know, we ha- we deal with that in Colorado as far as now we, of course, had the red flag law. But uh, in Colorado, there's there's what, what's called the M1 hold, which is a 72-hour hold, mental health evaluation. And the, the point of that 72 hours is to actually evaluate, is this person insane or are they not insane? Do we need to do something more with them? Or were they just having a temporary, you know, issue that they, they've worked through, they can go home, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we should be very cautious about protecting and defending people's rights, especially big time rights like the Second Amendment. And you just because you were admitted for a 72 hour hold, let's say you went through a really, really, really rough breakup and you just weren't really right for I mean, sometimes that's a very temporary thing. Uh, this is just, I think, further stigmatizing mental health instead of actually pro- providing solutions that actually work. Things like what Walk Talk America is working on. This is just stigmatizing things further and saying, if just because you're committed for a 72-hour mental health evaluation hold, you cannot purchase or own guns for six months. That's insane. Uh, and then also the one maybe good thing (laughs) that's because that's a lot of rough stuff coming out of washington there uh but the one good thing is that governor inslee did sign house bill 1934 into law which allows military members who are stationed or assigned out of state to renew their concealed pistol license by mail well that's good and i fully support that but that sure seems like a very small concession considering everything else that's being given up gun rights wise in the state of washington that concludes our quick legislative roundup reload oh how about that i made up another <laughs> another name to call it uh <clears throat> lots of stuff going on out there folks we're kind of getting close for many states to the end of the uh legislative session if not already uh past it so i think they've pretty much already wrapped things up in colorado but there's other states now that are kind of in their waning days of sessions so uh, don't let down your guards uh there are stuff serious stuff that's trying to get pushed through all over the place all right so that brings us now to our weekly podcast giveaway all right so this week's giveaway is for two soft pistol cases. These are Allen Company brand soft pistol cases. They're great pistol cases. You're going to get one black one and one camouflage one. All right. One black, one camouflage. Uh, these are great. I, I'll use these sometimes just for, you know, quick little storage. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, take a gun and stick it in uh, one of these soft cases and, and put it in my range bag or whatever. Uh, so just a, a nice little pistol case, nothing too fancy there, but uh, one lucky winner is going to win two of these bad boys. All right, so here we go. Picking a winner right now. Drum roll. And it's thinking. (laughs) Still thinking. Uh, All right. (laughs) This is a first. So the raffle uh, software is, uh, it's it's thinking about picking a winner. (laughs) Oh boy, I might have to reload the page here. Let's let's try reloading that. How about that? All right, let's try again. Adding a random winner, and here it is, Matt D. D is in Dabrowski, although that is not his last name. <laughs> Matt 
Matt D. All right. Uh, has an email address at roadrunner.com. So Matt, chances are, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Uh, we'll be in touch with you to get you your pistol cases. All right. So congrats to Matt for uh, winning uh, this week's weekly podcast giveaway. Make sure you're signing up every week uh, by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And I, I will tell you that for next week's Tuesday giveaway, uh, it is not yet fully set up and live on the site. Uh, so give, give us a few hours. We'll get that up. But again, you want to make sure you sign up every week at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. All right. That's, that's where you'll find it. Matthew, it is not, Matthew on Facebook conveniently has an, the same name, essentially Matt D, but it's not you, Matthew. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> it's a different Matt. I apologize. Uh, you probably got super excited, but uh, I, I'm sorry, buddy. All right. So um, again, today's episode sponsors uh, brought to you by Vehicle Firearm Tactics. Go pick up copy today, concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. All right. And uh, also Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. All right. Well, it's time to wrap it up, let you all go. I hope you all take care out there and enjoy uh, the rest of your week. Um, I will not be back on Thursday for the podcast Thursday. That'll be handled exclusively by Matthew and uh, Jacob. Uh, I've got uh, some family things and so I will, I will not be, I will not be here. <laughs> so we'll miss you. Uh, for those of you that are Guardian Nation members, a reminder that Thursday night of this week, we had the Guardian Nation live broadcast, which is with last week's podcast guest, Scott Jedlinski. So that'll be a good one. So you want to make sure if you're a Guardian Nation member to check in there, stop by, uh, spend, spend, you know, a nice 90 minutes with us and, and, really have a good time interacting with Scott. Uh, and, uh, that'll, that, that should be a good broadcast. Uh, Scott's got a wealth of knowledge, uh, especially dealing with red dots on a pistol, uh, appendix carry, but just in general shooting, uh, he's a really good shooter. So, so we'll have a good time with Scott on Thursday night. That'll be Thursday, this coming Thursday at, what is that? May 30th, uh, 7 PM mountain time. All right. So guardian nation members, make sure you're there or be square. And if you're not a member of guardian nation, and you're not taking advantage of Guardian Nation Live broadcasts, and you're not taking advantage of the Ammo Supply Warehouse 5% discount, and you're not taking advantage of all the other amazing benefits of Guardian Nation membership, then you should go try out a 14-day trial. Concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day, 1-4-D-A-Y, all right? 14-day, no risk, okay? Uh, just give it a try, all right? All right, so with that, it's a wrap. A reminder, folks, to train often, train safe. No, hold on. Train train right, train often, and train safe. I know I missed a word in there. Train often, train right, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.